uh, I think that's a very powerful idea that Liquid was built with assets in mind. You know, um, it's kind of baked in. A lot of uh, ideas can kind of go into Liquid first. So Segwit, you know, is a, a famous example. Um, you can kind of design it and then implement it in Liquid and show kind of the world that, uh, hey, this model works, right? Uh, I would say Liquid is still very much its own thing, but because it's so similar to Bitcoin, when a new feature is introduced to Liquid, it definitely should, um, I guess, raise some excitement uh, for the possibilities for Bitcoin. What we call a native asset on Liquid is the standard asset, but there's also things called issue attract assets and transfer restricted assets, um, and those are built on something called AMP. One thing that I've heard from people is that because uh, Liquid has this extended script, we can create things like liquidity pools and decentralized exchanges. Because Liquid works on Lightning, I think uh, that is also a huge draw to come and build on Liquid as well. Randy Nar is a software engineer at Blockstream focused on bringing assets to the Liquid sidechain. In our discussion, we covered exactly what Liquid is, we discussed how it works, and what sets it apart from other L2 scaling solutions such as the Lightning Network. We also discussed what asset issuers are using Liquid for today and the potential future applications that asset issuers might want Liquid for in the future. Randy has also asked to have his share of today's SAT splits sent to the Human Rights Foundation. So if you enjoy this show and if you learn something new, the best way you can support the show and the Human Rights Foundation is by sending in SATs over the Lightning Network in response to the value you got out of this show. If you thought this show was great, send a lot of SATs. If you didn't, send a few. Uh, just a quick note before we get into today's show, this episode is sponsored by Voltage. Voltage is the industry standard and next generation provider of Lightning Network infrastructure. This episode is also sponsored by Zebedee, and Zebedee is your portal into the world of Bitcoin gaming. We'll have more from Voltage and Zebedee later in the show. Randy, welcome to the show. And I'm so excited to chat with you about Liquid because this is, it's, it's a layer two scaling technology that I know exists. I, I know it's, it's different from Lightning. It's, it's got its own features that it's got uh, different trade-offs, but I don't know enough about it. And I wanna learn more. And I wanna learn how it interacts with Bitcoin if it interacts with Lightning at all, and I've got a ton of questions for you. But before we get into it, maybe we can start off with your background in Bitcoin. I'd love to know more about how you first discovered Bitcoin, why you decided to then put all your energy and time into building on Liquid. Yeah, so how I first found out about Bitcoin um, was in 2014. I had a cousin who kind of went all in on uh, Bitcoin, and he was researching all these different cryptocurrencies like, you know, Ethereum and whatnot. Um, but he told me Bitcoin's the best, you know. But the thing is, is he didn't understand, um, you know, all of the technicalities of Bitcoin, but he was, uh, he understood kind of the overall mission, right, decentralization. And he kind of got me into Bitcoin and he also used to play around with Dogecoin and he used to like mine Bitcoin as well. Uh, so I guess my first experience was doing that and we kind of used to, like have fun with Dogecoin. We still like gamble online with it. <laughs> you know, there's a whole bunch of like gambling sites back then uh, where you could like, you know, I don't know, gamble your Dogecoin all the way. <laughs> but, uh, and it, it's funny because no one expected Dogecoin to go, you know, up. So if you actually look at it, he had like millions of dollars that he was today at <laughs> his gambling, right? Um, but yeah, and then I've kind of um, not, 
I guess, ignored Bitcoin for a long time. And during the pandemic, 2020, I had a friend uh, who started inviting me to some Bitcoin meetups. He's like, oh, you heard of Bitcoin? I was like, yeah, I used to play around with it. And um, so I started going and it's a bit devs um, in you know South Florida. So um, I guess that's how I kind of was reintroduced to Bitcoin. After that, I got obsessed and I started reading a lot about Bitcoin. I went back and I got like the original code for Bitcoin and scanned it so I could really understand um, the foundation. And um, yeah, ever since then, I guess I've just been focused in on how Bitcoin works and different things about Bitcoin. Nice. And then how did you decide then, you know, Liquid is this side chain you wanted to be building on that? What was so important about Liquid? Yeah, so there's a lot of different ways to scale Bitcoin and Liquid is just one of the scaling solutions. Um, I think there's a lot of things that makes uh, Liquid very attractive, uh, including the kind of scripting model. It's very similar to Bitcoin's and the fact that it's pretty much like a fork of Bitcoin. You know, it uh, shares a lot of the same code and you know, has it's pretty secure in terms of how it's programmed. And I can actually jump into it from reading things in the Bitcoin code base and understand things very easily. So I really appreciated that. Um, and there's a lot of other, you know, great features of, of Liquid. I don't know if you want me to get into it now or, yeah. We can get into it. We've got a long list of uh, topics to go through. But maybe first, uh, the, you know, if we're thinking about Liquid, it, you know, I, I, I've heard people talk about it as a uh, federated consensus model and as a side chain. So can, can you start with maybe a high level understanding of like, what is a federated consensus model? How does that differ from Bitcoin's consensus model? And how does Liquid as a side chain plug into Bitcoin or connect to Bitcoin or interact with it? Yeah, um, so I guess I could start with Bitcoin's model. You, sure. So with Bitcoin, when you generate blocks, um, you have miners and, uh, you know, they collect transactions, they create a block and then they compete, right, um, to try and kind of find this target uh, hash and they play around with the nonce and the extra nonces um, until that one of them finds it and then they can go and collect the block reward, you know, the Coinbase transaction. And um, for kind of the liquid sidechain, it's not a competitive thing. Uh, they decided to kind of have these uh, liquid members uh, that are called block signers. And when you generate blocks, it kind of, uh, it's like a round robin type thing where members um, will take turns kind of signing and you have, or, or creating these blocks and um, take turns signing these blocks until they can kind of be finalized and added onto the liquid blockchain. So um, it's not a comp competitive type thing. Um, I'd say that's like, you know, the big difference between them. It is like, a, um, it, it's not as open in certain ways, but um, it, it also isn't like completely centralized because you have all these different parties who, you know, have different interests. Um, and you also have kind of this um, concept of dynamic federations where you can add and, um, and remove people <laughs> from uh, the uh, selected list of like roles, uh, what we call like, you know, well, watchmen and block signers. So, um, but yeah, in terms of block generation, uh, I think that covers it. Yeah. So this the the members in this federation can be added and removed. What what is the incentive for all of them to participate correctly and to to correctly process transactions? Yeah. So uh, block signers, you know, um, I mean, there, I think there's always the intrinsic motivation to 
um, hold integrity of the chain. Um, but there's also, you know, uh, fees uh, that are collected uh, to help um, process the on-chain transactions. They'll eventually go back into Bitcoin. And a lot of, um, you know, um, the block signers, uh, you know, it's, it's good, I guess, they have the control to go and collect these blocks and uh, keep publishing them. They all kind of have a vested interest in, in Liquid. So I guess I'd say that. Yeah. Now, um, let's get into some of the features of Liquid, because it's in some ways it's similar to Bitcoin, but in some ways it's different. Um, a few differences, there's a one minute block time, uh, native assets, confidential transactions. Can you talk more about like why it's important that Liquid has these, this set of features that is different from Bitcoin? Yeah, um, so because you don't really have the same mining model, you get different affordances, and one of them is, uh, you know, quicker block times or one-minute block time is like great, um, and you know it's, it's fast. And you know there has even been discussion of uh, seeing if we could lower that even further, and you know that's a it's kind of a nice functionality you have there. Um, in terms of like the other features that make Liquid different is you can introduce things like uh, confidential transactions, where I could go and transfer uh, a certain amount of LBTC or um, any other asset, which we could also get into, and blind the amount um, and the asset type that I am sending to a recipient, which is uh, very helpful in a lot of different you know scenarios. Mm -hmm. And then you can also create native assets as well on on Liquid. Yeah, so assets on Liquid are, are like first class citizens. You know, um, you could go and make issuance transactions, and you could distribute your asset. Um, there's also a concept of having reissuance tokens and creating more of uh, tokens in the future if, if needed. And um, yeah, I think that's a very powerful idea that Liquid was built with assets in mind. You know, um, it's kind of baked in to the design. Mm -hmm. One other thing that I think I've heard you talk about it at a past conference was um, that Liquid is sort of a test bed. For, for Bitcoin, or in some ways, it's a testing grounds for new features. How does that work? How, how, does liquid, how do liquid features um, migrate over to Bitcoin? Is there precedent for that? Yeah, so um, it's, I guess testbed might be a little misleading because sometimes when the word is like testbed is used, um, it's implied that the features aren't, um, I guess, fully like fleshed out when a lot of the features that are added to Liquid, you know, already have gone through years and years of uh, research <laughs> and, um, you know, are definitely audited uh, well. But yeah, so a lot of uh, ideas can kind of go into Liquid first. So Segwit, you know, is a, a famous example. Um, you can kind of design it and then implement it in Liquid and show kind of the world that, uh, hey, this model works, right? We have it working in, in uh, some place. So we kind of have something proven here. Uh, in addition to that, I guess Liquid also has these other things uh, that are going on within the chain that um, you know could kind of evolve and move to Bitcoin at some point. So um, another thing is like simplicity is a big thing. It's an alternative uh, scripting model uh, to Bitcoin, or it could be you know also in addition in terms of if it's ever integrated into the main chain. But um, it's a lot more powerful, uh, and you know it's. Um, just a very interesting concept that I, you know, hope can get some progress. But yeah, it's you know, Liquid is um, looks like it's going to be its first home right now, and it is um, it's a really cool idea. 
Yeah. So let's use maybe SegWit as an example. What was the process from from that on Liquid to moving that to Bitcoin? Yeah. So I know Liquid or um, kind of elements on you know GitHub is what we call it. You has it shares a lot of like core maintainers uh, to Bitcoin, and you know just like everything, there's always going to be a, a BIP that um, that's introduced in Bitcoin. I'd say the the adoption of ideas are uh, still kind of go through the standard process for Bitcoin. Uh, it's just that now you kind of have like additional verification, I guess, in this other chain um, that you can say, hey, look at this. You know, this is a working implementation. So it kind of adds uh, backing. You know, if you were to propose a, a BIP. Right. Now, so is it fair to say that this is kind of like this experimentation ground for for building things onto Bitcoin? Is this supposed to attract developers who want to, you know, add new features to Bitcoin? Is that the idea here? Um, I, I'm like hesitant to say that it's uh, like any kind of ideas could be added uh, to elements or it's necessarily just supposed to attract people who want to add things to Bitcoin to Liquid. Uh, I would say Liquid is still very much its own thing, but because it's so similar to Bitcoin, when a new feature is introduced to Liquid, it definitely should, um, I guess, raise some excitement uh, for the possibilities for Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I see. It is, yeah, okay. Is that okay? Yeah. So now, so let's think about like Liquid as a scaling solution, and maybe we can do it in the context of Lightning. How do these two compare to each other? Because like both can process more transactions than you can on Bitcoin. Um, what are other? What are the other similarities and differences? And do these two cross over at any point? Where do they overlap? Yeah. So. It's, it doesn't really have to be one or the other. Um, you could, you know, have uh, lightning channels in Liquid because the scripting model in Liquid is very similar to that of Bitcoin. Uh, Liquid does add some additional opcodes, um, but all of the things that you could do on Bitcoin, you could pretty much do in Liquid. So you could, you know, open channels with people. Um, HTLCs are, are also something you could do on Liquid. But, um, so it, I don't know, it feels kind of weird to compare, but, um, in terms of uh, Liquid, I guess it also introduces the door for additional functionality, like um, having these things like um, opcodes and um, or additional opcodes and faster block times if we're comparing straight to Bitcoin. Um, and I think those are you know huge benefits um, as a scaling solution and to be able to kind of um, offload some of the transactions on Liquid um, and to gain all those um, features that Liquid has, like confidential transactions. I think is a nice thing to have. But yeah, yeah, in terms of scaling, I guess the, the quicker block time is kind of a, a huge thing. Right. Is there, is there another technology you might want to use instead to compare Liquid to? Or, or is there maybe within the broader crypto ecosystem or in the traditional finance ecosystem, is there something that more closely resembles what Liquid is trying to do with Bitcoin? Yeah, I would say, at least kind of how um, me and some others I've spoken to have started thinking about Liquid is like a financial layer on Bitcoin. So, um, you know, a place that you could do a little bit more uh, than what is natively supported on Bitcoin. So, you know, being able to have uh, native assets on it so you could, you know, issue uh, stable coins like are, you know, in Liquid right now. In Tether, you could enable atomic swaps between them and you could you have a very nice ecosystem 
um, to be able to build out uh, these high-level financial products. But at the same time, you are still using Bitcoin, uh, and you know that's kind of like the native asset that you have on Liquid, and I think that's uh, very important. In terms of comparison, I don't know if there's anything exactly uh, like Liquid that I can compare it to, but um, yeah, I would say it's you know it's a side chain. And a lot of side chains have um, have been posed as similar solutions to other blockchains. Right. Now, when you talk about the financial layer on top of Bitcoin, this this starts to sound a lot like you know the the financial applications that we've seen explode in the in the rest of the crypto ecosystem, where you you have stable coins, you have decentralized exchanges, and things like that. Is it fair to say that those use cases can be ported over to Liquid and be built on Bitcoin? Yeah, and one hundred percent. You know, um, there's native stable coins that are being built um, on Liquid right now, like uh, Fuji Money, and there's um, decentralized exchanges that are also being built out, like uh, BitMatrix, um, which you know use the concept of liquidity pools and um, Liquid's advanced scripting features to enable things that Bitcoin previously couldn't. And oh, a big change is having these web wallets, you know, almost like MetaMask. Uh, there is something for Liquid called Marina, and that enable, enables a lot more use cases um, than you know could have been anticipated on uh, Bitcoin. So I would say that you know is a huge um, pivot towards the direction of actually having a lot more DeFi applications um, mm. that run you know on the similar scripting model. Yeah. So so when you talk about advanced scripting models, is this is this something that is is Liquid Turing complete? Is, is the, am I thinking about that in the right way, that where you can do more, it has more flexibility, or no? Uh, not quite in, in that way, but there's, um, for example, you can kind of uh, enable covenant-like you know, um, functionality, or you know you can, you could, uh, there are opcodes that allow you to inspect uh, the output of your transaction, um, and I guess, you know, I've heard these called introspection opcodes, where you could, um, you know, make assertions about uh, certain outputs and what asset types they are and so on and so forth. And with that, you can kind of make powerful um, applications. So um, I guess this is a tangent uh, in Bitcoin Plus Plus. <laughs> we were working you know, on this hackathon project uh, where uh, Barack from BitMatrix, he was able to make a script for like gambling, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> our application was uh, dog racing. So, you know, you pick a certain number uh, and then, uh, you know, my role is to help construct uh, these transactions uh, that, you know, use his locking script and he would have a covenant that um, would allow four players to go and pick a number and then the output uh, of that would end up, you know, have picking one winner and administering the winnings. So uh, that's an example of, um, a use case that's not really supported on Bitcoin, but is on Liquid because they have more uh, opcodes to work with, and which gives you more control. So it's it's not quite like in a something like Solidity, you know, on Ethereum, but it definitely is more powerful uh, than what Bitcoin can currently achieve. Right. So maybe so it's it can handle a subset of the things that can be built on Solidity, but it encompasses a lot of the financial applications that one might want to build. Is that is that a correct assessment? Yeah, I'd say so. Got it. So let's get into 
liquid assets and some of the financial applications here. Um, what are what are the you know are there any limitations to what kind of assets that can be built on liquid? Yeah, so you could pretty much issue anything, um, and then after you you create an asset, what you typically want to do is register it. So Blockstream has their own asset registry, um, and you could you know register uh, an asset that represents a new stablecoin that you'd like to make, um, or if you wanted to make some other model where you peg in. Uh, assets from other blockchains, you could technically do that as well. So I, I guess the what you can do in terms of assets isn't very limited, and there's a, a lot of different possibilities there. Mm -hmm. What do you think, what, if you look at the you know asset landscape and think about all the different things you can build on Liquid, what do you think will be the first asset or the first use case that really finds product market fit on Liquid? Yeah, so there's a lot of, I guess, financial assets that are being created today um, that you know you might have heard of before, uh, right? Like the uh, mining notes and the um, you know volcano bonds. People have been kind of talking about things like that. So those are definitely huge use cases um, that we'd see. There's, um, I would say, there's been other use cases which have been shown. Uh, you know, there's a product that we have called AMP, and um, you know, on our website we have a bunch of smaller use cases that have been uh, taken on by developers, and depending on what kind of assets uh, you're talking about, I guess it enables a lot. Something else that I could bring up is AMP, this product AMP that we have. Um, so what we call a native asset on Liquid is the standard asset, but there's also things called issue attract assets and transfer restricted assets, um, and those are built on something called AMP, and um, they they will restrict um, things about your asset. So for example, you can create these things called like distributions, where you can uh, administer assets specifically to our green wallets, uh, which will enforce tighter control um, of these assets so that they can only be transferred you know, between, let's say, um, green wallets. And they do this with this multi-signature scheme. Uh, so if you'd want to create a wallet in green, it, they could create a multi-signature, one that uh, will look for authorization from Blockstream to transfer certain types of assets. Um, so I don't know, you can kind of create these uh, cool systems, you know, which um, you can kind of close it a little bit more and add more restrictions for people who might want to use those use cases. And um, I would say that's pretty big. Yeah. Can you, can you also like time lock things like, for example, um uh, stock vesting schedules and things like that? Yeah, so anything, you know, uh, any script that you could write for Bitcoin or LBTC in Liquid's case, you could also make for an asset, which um, is very nice. You know, I know the Bitcoin scripting model is very, um, it's like pushed a lot, you know, and it's, I've, at least amongst my circles, you know, I've seen a lot of praise go towards, um, you know, it. It's predicate um, directed format, so I think it's very beneficial to the landscape to be able to transfer assets with the same type of script that is already used. Yeah. Now, when you zoom out here and you think about the ways in which Liquid could impact the global financial landscape, where does your mind wander? Like, what 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 impact do you think this could have if adopted? globally? 
Yeah, I think a lot of uh, the money on Bitcoin, you know, could be moved onto Liquid and um, see use cases um, that you know range from uh, options to all these you know crazy other type of financial instruments, and people could uh, do that you know securely and confidentially uh, between each other. Um, you could have Lightning channels that you know do uh, uh, you know atomic swaps uh, between. Bitcoin and liquid, and we kind of can see that now uh, through like bolts, and I, um, they have APIs that allow you to do things like submarine swaps and reverse submarine swaps, um, where you could you know even send lightning Bitcoin um, and receive you know uh, LBTC on the liquid network. So I think that's really cool application as well. Uh, going back to the hackathon project, what we did uh, is we were able to um, send some lightning Bitcoin. Uh, to you know, Bolt's API and receive some LBTC that was locked in the covenant, um, and the logic would kind of be all executed on Liquid, and then we could also make a payout um, back to Bolt's to receive you know some uh, Bitcoin Lightning as well. And I, I think that application is can see a lot more um, use cases in the future. Mm -hmm. Do you think that like I know this is pie in the sky? Um, ideas that I'm throwing out at you here, but when we think about like some of the big financial entities today, like maybe let's take an example, let's take the New York Stock Exchange. What can, what, what can, can Liquid do all the functions of the New York Stock Exchange? Can it support all those trades and all the different like operations that this entity might, might have had to do otherwise, the New York Stock Exchange? Yeah, I think there's, there's room to be able to um, swap, you know, different things, assets. If you have stable coins uh, and you have, you know, any arbitrary assets that you can create, you could definitely kind of create markets for things. Um, and the way script is right now, um, you could definitely, you know, support uh, use cases where you need exchanges, which is like any kind of arbitrary exchange you can kind of create and make. Um, the one-minute block times uh, can support, you know, a lot more than than Bitcoin can. So I, I really think that. Um, that should be emphasized, and that things are kind of moving in that direction with things like BitMatrix. Um, but in terms of functionality, I think there's still a lot more uh, work that could be done and more applications that I'm excited to see in the future. But, but to answer your question, yes, I think something like an exchange, like not a New York Stock Exchange, could be emulated in ways uh, on Bitcoin and, uh, I mean, on, you know, Liquid and, uh, Using Lightning, you could even make cooler integrations where you could easily uh, siphon off your liquid, your Lightning Bitcoin into the Liquid network, and uh, you know, pretty much pipe them into your applications. Now, now, what's the bear case for this? If if I ask you now, like, what's the reason? If if we fast forward ten years and Liquid is not, you know, eating the New York Stock Exchange or some other like large exchange. Um, what, what would the reason be? What do you think is the, the drawback of using something like Liquid? Yeah, so um, I have heard some criticisms about um, pegging out. You know, when you peg out, uh, the kind of your Bitcoin has to go to uh, a whitelisted address. Um, and uh, like, you know, I guess that's what I've uh, heard as one of the, the drawbacks. But so can you describe that pegging mechanism? Anyone can peg in, but only Whitelisted yeah. address can peg out. Is that correct? right? Yeah. So um, there is a set of you know whitelisted uh, addresses 
that you can peg out to, and they're kind of also liquid members, but um, you typically can synchronize with, with one of them, and I imagine you know, they would uh, administer your funds that way. But you also don't really have to do that. You could do uh, atomic swaps, and you could do atomic swaps to you know, get um, some Bitcoin or, or liquid you know, one way or the other, or you could kind of do these submarine swaps um, or reverse submarine swaps and all that to, to try and get liquidity in you know, either uh, end of the spectrum. So I'd say that's a drawback that people typically bring up, but I'd say there's some more grounds on there. Um, and you could also do like a peer-to-peer -peer exchange, right? Uh, right, yeah. So um, well, what do you mean by peer-to-peer -peer exchange? Just the <laughs> to, to, to get out of a liquid asset into Bitcoin or something like that? Um, right, exactly. Yeah. So any you know asset, uh, technically you could you could go and do a swap between that uh, and another peer. Um, yeah. Right. So, what, what's the? I guess is that cover the bear case or uh, would you? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I, I want to get into usage, liquid usage, in a bit, and like adoption and how that's going. But I want to stick to the the asset discussion for now, and. Maybe we can go into the weeds on the, the different assets that are on Liquid today. Um, I know there's a Blockstream mining note and Volcano Bonds you talked about. Uh, can we go into the details of like exactly how these work and how they're different from a traditional bond offering for the Volcano Bond, for example? Yeah, so um, I guess I can't really talk about the intricacies of uh, like how those work policy-wise. Um, you know, all I can kind of say is that you know, they're, they're assets like our other liquid assets, and um, I guess it changes by you know who's issuing it that uh, makes it important. But in terms of um, uh, any like details about them, I can't say too much about it. Right. So so the issuers of these assets are going to have to abide by their own policy restrictions in, in different different regions and things like that, right? Like that. Right. Okay. Got it. Um, and so for, you know, if I'm an issuer, uh, is there any, is there any, you know, other advantage beyond maybe, maybe speed or efficiency in getting these, these bond offerings uh, up on liquid? Like why else might I want to use liquid over taking a traditional route? Yeah, so um, again, we also have our AMP product, which integrates with green, which gives you tighter controls over who can um, own your asset and who your asset can be transferred between. Because uh, with green, you kind of generate this green ID, right, that's uh, all ties into that multi-sig wallet and being able to transfer certain assets, you kind of have to get approval. So when you're, when you're making a pitch to someone who wants to issue assets, the, is, the, is the big selling point then that you have tighter controls over the assets and you can like manage that process more seamlessly? Yeah, I would definitely say, yeah, AMP brings, uh, a lot in the form of having tighter controls and um, being able to have uh, a say in who owns your asset and control um, over like your, your initial distribution of where that can go, who that can be traded between. I think I think that's uh, very powerful to have. You also have issuer tracked assets where you're kind of tracking the, the flow of, of how your assets you know go between uh, different parties. And I, I think being able to, yeah, I think that restriction. Um, is very important to have and kind of sets a distinction um, for you know, our liquid brand of um, products. So what, what does an issuer tracked asset mean? That they can follow that chain along 
if I pass it to you and you pass it to someone else, the issuer can see who, you know, who holds it all the way along? Yeah, you can kind of see the IDs and, and how this uh, certain asset gets you know, distributed amongst uh, certain participants. So, um, yeah, that's... And is this that is also... Oh, go ahead. I was also going to say um, AMP, you know, they have a product page on Blockstream and uh, there's, you know, for people who are interested, you could also look and uh, see, you know, the different types of assets and they also have example use cases that you could go and uh, look at, you know, for anyone who's interested in, in making any, um, yeah. Now, is an issuer tracked asset similar to, I've, I've heard this use case mentioned a few times, um, specifically with NFTs in mind, where an NFT issuer can put in a rule that if there's a resale, they take 10% of the, you know, sale. Um, does that, and you know, maybe that could apply for concert tickets or something like that, or, um, you know, some other like ticket-based asset. Um, is that something that can be done on Liquid, and do you think that will be a big use case? Yeah, so I haven't really thought about the, I guess, uh, a use case of like NFT royalties, but um, I'd, I'd have to look more into it, but I think, you know, something like that can uh, be achieved in uh, some way. And that's something that you can do through this issuer tracked asset system? Um, yeah, or even, I mean, I can imagine a certain use of covenants that requires a transfer of an asset to always, you know, have an output that sends uh, a certain amount to uh, an address. So yeah, even just with the additional outcodes and the what you can make functionally with covenants, I think it accomplish something similar. Interesting. Now, I have a question about the, the structure of Liquid as, as a blockchain. Um, you know, we have the other scaling solution or the other big one is, is Lightning and that that's architecture is different from a blockchain. Why is a blockchain the right approach here for for you know scaling liquid why why is that the decision made to to create a blockchain versus you know this like this network that resembles like the lightning network yeah so in terms of like the actual uh creation of it or the reasoning behind the designers uh i can't speak so much but i can give my opinion on you know why it's nice of a blockchain in terms of being able to verify as a participant or uh, someone who, I guess, just has a node uh, in, in Liquid, you could kind of verify all of the transactions um, in that all of these um, block signers actually you know, went through every single block and signed it. And you can audit the chain yourself. And uh, I think you know, that kind of don't trust verify a thing is, stands true, especially when you want a wide look on the blockchain and all the transactions between the different parties. Mm, I see. Is there is there a scaling limit to Liquid? Like, is this is there a defined like here's how many transactions can be processed per second, or here's where the system can no longer scale? Like, what does that look like? What's the what's the maximum kind of throughput on Liquid? Yeah. So I don't know what the maximum is, but I have um, I do know that Liquid has uh, more room to grow in terms of you know even the design um, like I was saying even the kind of the block times of one minute are uh, you know somewhat uh, arbitrary and can maybe even be shrunk down a little bit so the throughput could be made higher um, yeah so 
I would say that there's even still room uh, to improve. I, I can't tell you the actual hard numbers, but um, yeah, I can't say that. Right. And now let's discuss trust on Liquid. And you know, I, I want to understand more about the differences in who you have to trust in, in this like federated consensus model versus versus Bitcoin. Can you can you break those down for me and like explain the difference of like and maybe even in relation to issuing an asset. Like, if I'm a user on Liquid, who am I trusting in this process? Yeah, so in a way, you do kind of put uh, trust in the block signers, you know, that um, they they will sign your block. There's a certain threshold, you know, of, uh, of block signers that, that need to be able to act in honest faith and uh, you know, put these signatures on the blocks. So I'd say that's uh, the trust model. You do kind of have to put a certain amount of trust in the federation that has been uh, created, you know, thus far. Whereas, you know, Bitcoin, um, your only trust is is put towards the fact that um, if you had, let's say, I don't know, a malicious 51% of miners, uh, it would be very expensive to to perform attacks, especially to um, try and rewrite significant portions of the chain. So, um, yeah, I would say. It, it, there's a big difference in kind of the, the trust assumptions for each chain. Mm -hmm. And then in respect to the, to the token, um, you know, if, I, if I've created a stable coin and you, know, and, you, and you buy some from me, are you trusting then that I, I don't create more? Is, there, that, is that another trust issue? Yeah, so in, in terms of uh, trusting um, other, or trusting an issuer to, um, to administer assets. One part of trust is being able to look at um, the blockstream registry, you know, and uh, looking up an asset name and that we verified whatever domain is uh, tied to that asset. So uh, there's a trust assumption there. Um, and also this registry, blockstream has one, but you know, technically anyone can make their own commitment scheme for the blockchain and make their own registry. But uh, you know, most people are gonna kind of start using the blockchain registry. So I just kind of bring that up um, as this trust assumption. In terms of reissuance, uh, you can use certain things about your transaction. So um, yeah, you could keep unblinded issuances and say, hey, uh, I want to show the world this is how many tokens that I've administered, and I'm going to set a zero reissuance tokens. So there's a way to kind of um, prove to people like, hey, I'm not going to be reissuing more assets. So um, you don't necessarily have to uh, put any trust in an issue in that way. You could, you know, ch just check or verify um, if you have your elements node in the blockchain. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Voltage. Voltage is the industry standard for Lightning Network infrastructure. Creating layer two applications and services on top of Bitcoin starts with Voltage, where you can spin up nodes, get access to liquidity, optimize your node, and much more. Voltage is leading the way as the next generation provider of Lightning Network infrastructure. And if you want to get a free trial and start using Voltage today, you can do so at voltage.cloud. Okay, let's get into um, usage on Liquid today. So I've been digging around and uh, I looked through the, uh, the mempool uh, explorer and uh, I'm, I'm watching Liquid blocks come in. Right now they're, they're more or less empty. There's often like one to five transactions per block today. Um, where do you think we are in, this, in, this, in the grand scheme of like liquid adoption? And how do we get to the point where 
there are full blocks on liquid. What, what, what needs to happen? Yeah, so I think development of applications is still early on liquid, and there's a lot of room to create uh, a whole bunch of use cases. And um, one, one thing that I've heard from people is that because uh, liquid has this extended script, you can create things like liquidity pools and decentralized exchanges. And sometimes uh, <laughs> kind of what people in crypto want to do is have fun right, with the blockchain. And one of those things is being able to have, uh, I don't know, something where you can gamble with uh, all these you know, random tokens that people create or assets. Uh, and I think that will you know, help drive adoption. But also the more serious cases where people want to have uh, assets that they have you know, a lot of uh, tight controls over and they still want it to be you know, auditable with the blockchain. I think that's uh, very important. So I think we'll continue to see more serious financial instruments maybe being placed on liquid and um, confidential transactions. You know, uh, I, I don't speak enough justice to it, but it is a, a very cool um, application where I can you know, send an arbitrary amount of something and um, keep that hidden from the network, what kind of asset it is and what amount it is. Um, so I do see, I don't know, if I'm an institution, I want to move a large amount of money. That, that's you know, pretty important to me. But another thing that's important is I could share what you call a blinding key with somebody, um, and they can audit me as well. And um, so it's is still auditable, um, but only to selected parties. And um, even then, you know, the whole um, everyone who has a copy of the blockchain with their elements node can go and you know verify that um, the integrity of the amounts that nothing's being created or destroyed uh, cryptographically. So um, yeah, I, I find that really interesting. Yeah, how, how does the privacy uh, on Liquid compare to other, other blockchains and other things we've seen, like we have uh, Zcash and we have Monero and you know, there's a few others. Like, is it fair to make a one-to-one -one comparison here or are these different systems? Um, I haven't you know, looked uh, too deeply at the other blockchains, but from what I've heard, you know, it's very similar in, uh, in how you can kind of hide the amounts of these confidential transactions cryptographically. I think they're you know very similar. And now, do you think this poses an issue for, you know, uh, regulators? Like you know, in a world where there's a lot of assets on liquid and there's a lot of money moving back and forth, and this is you know this isn't like lightning where it's microtransactions. This may be like, you know, big issuances of volcano bonds or something. Is that an issue for? Do you think for regulators around the world where all of a sudden they recognize that there are maybe billions or trillions of dollars flowing through a system, but they can't see any of it or they don't know who it's moving to and from. Yeah, so it could be a problem you know, for regulators in certain areas, but if I'm an institution and I uh, do kind of am obligated to follow whatever laws are in my area, I do always have the, I guess, possibility of giving a regulator my blinding key and auditing me. Or on the same hand, I could also make unblinded transactions. Um, so I guess this is from the point of view where I am an honest party who would like to follow regulations in my area. That is possible to do. Um, of course, I think being able to make confidential transactions uh, on an individual basis is always you know, very important. So um, you know, regulators or anybody else doesn't need to snoop around there. but. Yeah, if, if you do want to be a party who abides by certain things, you always have the option 
to allow you know people to audit what you're doing. I see. Now, in I know we're getting back to the discussion about like different exchanges. Um, I want to, you know, one thing I want to understand is like how important in in the financialization of liquid. How important is it that uh, you guys can build a network effect on liquid? Because we've seen these network effects that have really taken off in the DeFi ecosystem. Obviously, like the the main stock exchanges in the traditional financial space, uh, that's a network effect in and of itself. Um, how do you think about bootstrapping a network effect around Liquid? I'm hoping for these network effects to happen. I think they they can take place uh, with you know the addition of all these applications. Uh, I think that's kind of what a lot of us are, are banking on that people will start seeing the value of the sidechain and um, rushing you know to go and kind of uh, peg in your money and uh, make, start making your confidential transactions or you know, start uh, making swaps between your LBTC and assets and inviting other people in it. So you could also create you know, things like NFTs as well. Uh, and I know that people have started doing it. Um, a, you know, Rare Toshi I, I hear. Um, and then, yeah, just the more integration that you have and uh, the more your, the user base expands, I do think they're Net, there is a network effect that can be capitalized on there. Right. Now, is this going to be a, an uphill battle of trying to disrupt or trying to take market share from things like Uniswap or the NASDAQ or some bond market? Or do you think the primary network effect is going to be built around serving people who don't have an alternative today? Who don't, like maybe Volcano Bonds is a good example where Maybe is it true that there's going to be some use cases where there's just no venue to support this kind of activity today, or do you, or are you going to be disrupting kind of existing business models? Do you think? I think um, maybe a little bit of both. You know, um, for for some use cases, uh, maybe there isn't you know quite the ability to implement whatever idea that you want to do. Um, again, going, you know, sorry to go back to these kind of main big differences, and so I keep referencing these features, but uh, maybe I have an idea where I would like to um, have a whole bunch of assets and distribute them to different people for some scheme, and I want that to be kept hidden, but, you know, um, transparent to regulators. So, you know, I can give blinding keys to the people who need it, but also keep the public at large, um, you know, uh, clueless to what what I'm doing, you know that could be kind of a scheme that I could enable with Liquid. And again, having LBTC is very important for some, as being the native asset and being kind of pushed uh, as like I don't know the, the underlying uh, <laughs> currency that pushes you know everything up. So, um, but you also get the traditional use cases um, like you know again the liquidity pool that people want to see the Uniswap type use cases. And I think being able to to build uh, things that we've seen before, but also things that uh, aren't as common or haven't been thought of because the functionality set of Liquid hasn't been you know, made largely known is um, important and can happen. So I think, yeah, both uh, things are, are possible, being able to traditional applications and um, also building new things that maybe weren't as possible um, to do before, or not as easy. You know, and we're definitely trying to make the developer experience as easy as possible on Liquid um, to attract more developers and 
make it a chain that people would want to use. Right. What's been the biggest challenge so far in attracting developers to build on Liquid? Yeah, so um, I would say just a lot of Bitcoin developers that I've spoken to uh, want to know more, but they just like, you know, um, they haven't had an opportunity to learn. So I definitely think getting the word out and going to more, to more of these um, type of, you know, Bitcoin events and uh, talking more about, you know, the possibilities that are enabled with Liquid are going to be very important for um, being able to spread the word about Liquid and attracting more developers and building, you know, tools that could help people um, try to experiment with Liquid, you know, in ways that are low friction or uh, not too difficult to on-ramp if you've worked with Bitcoin. So, um, yeah, I'd say those things. Mm -hmm. It seems like in the last year, um, the Lightning ecosystem has really taken off and has has gotten a flood of developers in uh, from you know off of the initial adoption there. Um, are there any lessons that you're taking away from the last year of Lightning adoption and trying to apply to Liquid to, to catalyze or like bootstrap another wave of adoption? Yeah, so because Liquid works on Lightning, I think uh, that is also a huge draw to come and build on Liquid as well. Um, you know, you could start building covenants that integrate with Lightning um, and you kind of are able, at least in terms of the, the Lightning portion of a project that you'd like to build, you pretty much have that covered, right? Because uh, Lightning, it's the protocol kind of you know, stays the same in a lot of ways. So um, maybe one of the, the learnings is um, trying to capitalize on whatever learnings you know, Lightning has made by saying, hey, come bring it to, to Liquid, because you could have the same things and, except with assets and a little bit more additional functionality. Right. And now, now I, I have to ask, with the discussion about assets and Lightning, um, Taro or Taro, um, how do these two ideas, uh, you know, relate to each other right now? Taro uh, with with Lightning Labs and uh, Liquid plus Lightning, like Liquid assets on Lightning. How how what are the similarities and differences there? Yeah, so Taro is a little bit different in that. Um, you know, it's something that's uh, kind of enabled with the recent Taproot functionality. Right now, you could start making uh, commitments uh, in transactions that, uh, you know, are part of uh, this Merkle tree, right? A Merkle commitment that you end up putting in a transaction that doesn't take up uh, any more space <laughs> than, than needed. You know, it doesn't, I guess, waste a Bitcoin transaction. And uh, that's, you know, very useful and a powerful idea. And, in terms of trying to create this new system where you can have assets. But on Liquid, um, it is in certain ways simplified um, because we have first-class assets and it's uh, natively supported. I know Taro, at least from you know what, what I understand, I, mean, I could be incorrect about some things, but it, it seems kind of like this uh, overlaid network with commitments on Bitcoin, um, which is a, a little bit more complex or can be seen by some. And I would say simplicity that, that Liquid brings might be uh, attractive to some people who, who'd want to you know, start dipping their toes um, in, in a way that's you know, not as involved because you know, we have very easy ways to issue these assets. Are there any differences in the types of assets that can be supported on the two between Taro and, and Liquid? From what I understand, um, no. You, you know, you could, well, from 
our previous discussion about AMP, you know, because we've kind of made a product out of uh, the original base asset offering that you could use on Liquid, I would say right now, yes, but, um, you know, I, I don't know what's in the <laughs> in store for the future of Tara, and they could, you know, implement a whole bunch of cool things as well. So, um, yeah, I'd say right now we have something that works and um, that you could use today and that has a whole bunch of functionality. But uh, Tara does look promising, so, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know what directions they're going to go in. That's fair. Um, I want to ask about the pegged-in capacity on Liquid right now. I believe it's around 3,500 Bitcoin, is that correct? Uh, I think so. Okay, <laughs> I think somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, so how, how do we think about this number? Is it comparable to the number, the, the public capacity on Lightning? Is it comparable to, you know, total value locked metrics in DeFi? Because I know those two are not comparable to each other. The, the Lightning metrics of public capacity and TVL don't quite line up perfectly. They're not it's not quite an apples to apples comparison. How do you think about comparing this number of pegged in capacity to other metrics in the crypto ecosystem? Yeah, so um, I think there are some interesting things about Liquid in that you could uh, create a peg in on Bitcoin, but also not claim your LBTC on Liquid. You kind of have to make um, kind of the members aware of your pegging transaction. So in some ways there could be like more, I'm just saying there's like some uh, variability in what is tracked and what has been uh, put into Bitcoin. I mean, in LBTC, I mean. So, so the number could be higher than the 3,500? Uh, yeah, in, in ways it could be higher because you, you have to let uh, kind of the network know that, hey, I made this Bitcoin transaction, go and send this to my address. Um, so, and technically, you know, not everyone, uh, might do that, you know, I could make a pegging transaction and never claim my LBTC until later. So there is some variance there. Uh, but I think something like um, total value locked is uh, maybe comparable, right? I've, um, I, I've heard someone say that it's almost like you have this multi-sig wallet uh, that contains this a whole universe of the liquid sidechain. Uh, on Bitcoin, and uh, that would be you know a way to kind of view it in these multi-sig wallets. It's like these gateways right to the sidechain. Um, so, yeah, ASDVL might be a good comparison. Yeah. Now, one thing that I know happened in the last couple of years is a lot of Bitcoin started moving to other chains as this like wrapped Bitcoin or this form of Bitcoin, right? And there's, I, I believe, I, I don't know the exact number now, but. I think at one point there was about 250,000 Bitcoin expressed as wrapped Bitcoin on things like Ethereum. Um, what, what Do you think that we're going to see a similar migration of Bitcoin onto Liquid as the ecosystem matures? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there will definitely be a steady increase in Bitcoin into Liquid as things progress, as we create more offerings that people uh, want to go invest their money in. Uh, or applications that people want to go and play around with. So um, I, I do expect an increase in the wrapping concept, you know, is very similar uh, in, in how Liquid does it, of course. There's a, kind of a, a lot of sophisticated algorithms that go into, you know, the peg-ins and peg-outs and regulating all of that, uh, even down to the hardware modules that are used to maintain things in the, the network. Um, but, it, you know, they have the similarities in being uh, 
you know, like a wrapped type of Bitcoin, uh, liquid can be seen, liquid Bitcoin can be seen in a, in a similar fashion. Um, right. But yeah, but I do see, you know, growth in liquid future. Now, when you think about the total Bitcoin addressable market of 21 million, or, you know, maybe you want to exclude a couple million lost coins, um, what is the breakdown over time? What do you think the breakdown will be of people that just want their Bitcoin on Bitcoin, on the base blockchain, and those who want to experiment, those who want to move it on to Liquid or onto Lightning or as a wrap token on some other chain? Like, how do you think about that, you know, the split between like where Bitcoin is going to be deployed over time? Yeah, so I think it'll vary a lot. Um, you know, maybe in, in some future, you might have uh, multiple, you know, offshoots, uh, side chains, and where you can kind of peg into one, and then you know peg out, bring it to another uh, side chain with another, you know, set of trade-offs, and bring it back to Bitcoin. And uh, let's say, you know, after you're done playing around with your money, you want to leave it in cold storage in your your Bitcoin wallet, which you could also do. Um, and I think we can kind of create uh, an ecosystem uh, surrounding Bitcoin where you could take your money uh, to a different chain with different security assumptions and bring it back to the base chain after you're, you know, you're done playing around with it pretty much. Um, I think that's a nice idea. Also, um, uh, I didn't bring this up back uh, when talking about Lightning versus Liquid, but um, you know, with Liquid, you could hold uh, your funds in a cold wallet, you know, um, as opposed to Lightning, you need like these hot wallets. So. Um, I, I just thought of it because I was thinking of Bitcoin, you know, loading things in your cold wallet there. But um, right. yeah, yeah, I, I do see a world where you can move around your money and things vary and you will see um, activity, you know, between both, whether they're atomic swaps or uh, pegging out, you know, your Bitcoin. But uh, I do see lots of activity going back and forth, I think would be a, a nice, healthy um, way to indicate growth. Yeah. So in general, like, like, you think Bitcoiners and, and Bitcoin they hold is going to be moved around faster as time goes on and, and, and used for more interesting use cases beyond just storing it? Yeah. So whether you put on Lightning and you want to make a whole bunch of payments and then you want to you know, close your channel uh, or, or maybe not close your channel and do uh, you know, a reverse submarine swap into a liquid, uh, you, know, you can do that too. I think enabling all these different types of use cases of being able to move uh, your funds around is uh, very important to the community and important to the growth of Bitcoin because people, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, everyone's kind of straying to all these other chains. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think people are, again, kind of starting to realize the value of Bitcoin and coming back uh, to this base currency and seeing that there are options that you could, um, you know, do on Bitcoin where you could lift, you know, your funds and do different things with them. Um, so I, I just want to see if we can kind of grab some of the audience back <laughs> to focusing on uh, Bitcoin, you know, base chains and, um, you know, fostering growth there and seeing that you could do all the things that you want to do on other chains right here. Yeah. I wonder if these two ideas are at odds with each other. I just started thinking about this. Like, if, if Bitcoiners think like, you know, I'm going to hold on to this thing because I see how messed up the traditional financial system is. I see all the problems. I think this is the solution, and I think this has a lot of room to run as an asset. I can see how Bitcoiners may say, I'm just going to hold this. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to do anything with it. Forget all the other applications in the crypto space. Until this thing goes to a million dollars or more, it's, it's kind of just like, I'm just sitting on it. And then maybe at that point, 
it, people begin to, you know, maybe this isn't an off-on switch, maybe this is a progression over time, but maybe as the value goes up, do you think it's more likely that people begin to start doing things with it as that, you know, the promise of Bitcoin as a store of value becomes fulfilled? Yeah, I think with the higher value of Bitcoin, um, people will definitely try and, uh, or have more leeway to take risks. You know, if I have a thousand dollars today and it becomes 50,000 at some point, you know, it's like, I'm a lot more willing to take, you know, I don't know, the original amount and go and siphon that into these experiments. So um, I definitely think having a higher price tag on the existing Bitcoin will encourage people to start taking smaller amounts of their Bitcoin and uh, trying to invest with it. Um, so, you know, like you said, kind of naturally, uh, that that was kind of bound to happen. You know, you'll get these increasing prices. Right. Okay. I want to I want to close off with some of the interesting projects that that you're seeing right now on on Liquid. Um, I think we talked about a couple off camera, um, but can we can we go through like if you have a few important ones you want to highlight, um, or people that are building on Liquid or considering building on Liquid? Do you want to run through some of those projects uh, right now? Yeah. Um... You know, uh, again, I've, I've already kind of mentioned them. Um, so sorry if it sounds repetitive to some, but uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Marina, the web wallet. Uh, I think that enables a lot of different use cases to the web. And that's, you know, still being uh, like developed. So, you know, there's updates all the time that allow you to do more and more with it. Um, there's the stable coin, you know, it's going to be here pretty soon, Fuji. Um, and that's going to be on Liquid, which will allow you to, you know, do um, cool, cool things, you know, with uh, things like the liquidity pool, BitMatrix, right, putting money in there. Um, I see products like TDEX, there's like PeerSwap and uh, all these different things you could do uh, on Liquid. So I, I still think that the space has a lot of room to grow. And uh, I do want to encourage, you know, um, as many Bitcoin devs to come and at least play around with Liquid and see what's to offer there. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of more room to experiment. And uh, even with all these great applications, I, I think we have room for a lot more. Awesome. Now, I want to get into a segment that I do at the end of every show called the lightning round. And it's an opportunity for listeners to send in questions um, and also me to ask some more rapid fire questions. Um, I've got a few questions for you. Are you ready for the lightning round? Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Welcome to the lightning round presented by Zebedee, your portal into the world of Bitcoin gaming. The Zebedee app offers a full-featured lightning wallet seamlessly integrated with your own personal gamer tag so that you can earn Bitcoin on all of Zebedee's games on mobile and desktop. It's never been more fun to earn Bitcoin and Zebedee is your key to it all. To claim your personal gamer tag and start earning some Bitcoin of your own, Download the Zebedee app today. Um, all right, first one. Are there any books that have meaningfully changed your view of the world? Um, here, let's see. I've uh, read, read a, a lot of books. So I'm trying to think of if there's any that's changed mine in particular. Um, there's some books kind of early in life that I thought was that you know were interesting. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of like Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I thought that was a pretty interesting book. Um, there was also one, I don't know, it just had a lot of interesting ideas. Um, 
which is there's a I like to like learn about the history of a lot of different companies. So I know there's a book about like Pixar's founding. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> there's also uh, one about Amazon. I can't think of their names right now because it's been a while since I read these. But um, yeah, I'd say those stick out my mind. Um, yeah, and I love autobiographies. So uh, you know, I've read a couple of those. So um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, next question: uh, What is the most underrated Bitcoin project in the entire industry? Putting you on the spot with this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, or what, uh, what is the most interesting one to you that you wish more people would recognize, I guess? Yeah, I like, <laughs> I like uh, the U3XL project, um, which is, is basically, um, it has something to do with reducing, you know, the size that you have to hold on a, like, um, a Bitcoin note or a type of Bitcoin note. This isn't, it's not, um, I think it needs like a bridge note or something to be able to relay certain uh, information to these kind of new uh, model of nodes that hold uh, like Merkleized UTXOs. Um, but yeah, in general, I like projects that make Bitcoin accessible to more people. So whether that's being able to reduce the amount of space that you hold on your hard drive um, to hold information about the Bitcoin blockchain or you know, finding easier ways to mine or making it more um, participatory and decentralized. Um, anything along those lines, I think, uh, are really cool. Nice. Um, if you could change one thing about Bitcoin, what would you change? <laughs> That's, uh, <laughs> it's hard to say. Um, I would say that maybe <laughs> but and it's kind of a controversial uh, topic that I've seen um, <laughs> between individuals. But covenants, I, I do like the idea of covenants. So being able to um, introduce covenants to Bitcoin, I think, would uh, be something I would try and change. Interesting. Um, okay, final question: uh, How many Bitcoin will be pegged into liquid in the year 2030? That's uh, <laughs> that's a long time in the future. Um, yeah, I can't even you know pretend to answer that. Uh, I mean, I hope a, a good percentage. <laughs> That's all I could, I could say. Fair enough. All right, thank you for taking the time. Um, I learned a lot. This is kind of my first introduction to Liquid. I'm glad we could do this discussion and really dive into the weeds on how it works. I'm sure listeners will get a ton out of this episode. Um, where can everyone go to learn more about you and the work you're doing? Yeah, so um, you know, if you're not following the Blockstream. Uh, Twitter accounts, you know, go and head and follow those because, um, you know, we'll be publishing news um, of any new products that we release. There's also uh, a liquid subreddit. Um, I can't remember the exact, you know, slash R path, but, um, you know, I'll see if I could get it and start having it posted on the blockstream Twitters. Um, I'd say those are good places to kind of learn what, what we're doing and um, on Liquid Applications, which is you know the team I work on building on Liquid. Um, so yeah, just keep an eye out on, on those channels. Awesome. Thanks for taking the time and hope we can do it again soon. Yep, thanks. In the last seven days, you guys sent in 45,916 sats. That came in from 61 different supporters. Again, the numbers are getting kind of crazy. We have dozens of supporters sending in comments and sats every single week. Thank you to everyone. Um, let's run through the top five supporters of the last seven days. First, 
we have an anonymous user at Breeze who sent in 15,574. GS Sovereign sent in 8,010 sats. Mitch Lancaster sent in 4,900. RGBTC sent in 2,450. And Merlin sent in 2,448. Now let's get into the boosts of the last week. Uh, we had a number of boosts. We start off with uh, Bon, who says, incredible episode, Gigi is the best, in response to episode 56 with Gigi on internet business models and value for value. Uh, that's one of the most popular shows I've done to date. Check it out if you haven't already. Mitch Lancaster sent in 4,900 stats and says, great interview and great book recommendations. Thank you. In response to Alan Plus on episode 58. Also a great interview. And Alan is going to be doing a Stacker News AMA tomorrow, I believe. I just saw that on Twitter. Othala uh, says, enjoyed the interview with Paolo and Matthias. Very promising technology. In response to episode 59 with Paolo Arduino and Matthias Boos. Uh, Tony Fontana says, interesting topic, worth a re-listen in response to the same episode. I mean, this technology, this peer-to-peer -peer technology is just, it changes, it challenges a bunch of assumptions about how apps are supposed to work. Especially if you've been using apps on your phone for the last decade and you're used to being locked into Google or Apple or whatever ecosystem you're in, it's, uh, it's a breath of fresh air and it's, it's, a, it's a challenge to shift your mindset and to think about apps differently uh, so I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, GS Sovereign says, thank you, Paolo and Matthias. You are continuing Satoshi's work and sent in 8,000 sats. Thank you, GS Sovereign. Permaculture sent in 320 sats, says, this type of forward thinking in regards to private data streaming over an open protocol really gets the imagination going. Robots making transactions amongst themselves sounds like a very useful technology better search engines are needed. I can't find anything on YouTube anymore. And Permaculture sent in 320 sats. Again, these are all in response to episode 59. Check that one out if you have not seen it already. Uh, Denton sent in 1,039 sats and said, very interesting episode. Thanks, episode 58 with Alan Plus. I-T-A-L-I-V-A-R says, I'm extremely excited for Hole Punch. It makes so much sense when they talk about it, a true revolution. I'm very excited as well. Thank you for the sats and the comment. Uh, Bond says, do you dock your IP to the other people you're connecting to? This is a huge turnoff if so. I didn't hear that asked or answered on episode 59. Bond, I'm going to reach out to Paolo and I'm going to send him your question. Uh, when I hear back, I will let you know on the following episode um, what his response is. Uh, Brian of London says, I'm building on Lightning and Hive, and you said you wanted to hear from people who are a little more skeptical on Lightning. I'm a huge believer in protocols above platforms, which is why the pod ping system I invented is a new protocol. I don't ever ask to go on shows, but I think there's a lot to say about what true Web3 will be without VCs and corporations, and it would be good for Lightning people to hear it. And I'm interested, Brian. Uh, thank you for sending in also the 2,473 sats. Brian has been a, uh, a constant uh, you know, contributor to the show. He's, he's been sending in a bunch of comments. Uh, I'm interested in learning more. Um, again, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical about what Hive is. I've made that clear on the show. Uh, but 
you know, I'm interested. Uh, I think I have Brian on Twitter, so we'll continue that conversation there. Um, thank you to everyone for sending in stats, comments, and questions. This is my favorite part of the show, and every episode seems like it gets longer and longer, and uh, I'm, I'm just impressed that people continue to send in sats and comments and that there's there's this level of engagement the episode listens tend to continue going to new highs every single week um so it's awesome to see that there's genuine interest in lightning people building on bitcoin uh, and i can't wait to see what you guys end in this next episode